The murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi has raised many questions regarding the regime of Saudi Arabia, freedom of the press, and international criminal law. Professor Buzz Shur joins me to discuss. You're listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about the law school and apply by visiting law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. So Khashoggi was a U.S. resident, Saudi citizen, and was also a columnist for the Washington Post. Uh, so he's very much entwined in dissident opinion against Saudi Arabia. So what happened to him in Turkey? Uh, apparently, best we can tell from the public reports is Saudis, and I'll come back to who we mean when we say the Saudis, the Saudis did not approve of his dissenting views as expressed in some of his uh, columns in the Washington Post. Uh, and they, quote unquote, invited him to the uh, Saudi embassy uh, in Turkey, ostensibly in order to give him the appropriate documentation so he could get married in the United States. He was scheduled to be married in the United States. Apparently, he was murdered. In the embassy, a a team had been sent from Saudi Arabia to the Saudi embassy in Turkey, and he was murdered. He was cut up and then uh, buried somewhere in the area near the Saudi embassy. Um, It is uh, the Saudi government has progressively gave Uh, different stories as to what happened. They originally denied that they, anything had happened and the evidence suggests that they, uh, they dressed a person up to look like Khashoggi and had him leave the embassy. So their initial claim was he left the embassy and they don't know where he went from there. Uh, eventually, they said yes, he was murdered. Uh, that a fight, occur- you know, that a disagreement occurred, and he was accidentally murdered. Um, now, yeah, uh, now it's different. Now, <laughs> it, now the Saudi government has indicted or charged with murder several of the people involved in the incident. One of the the, the major international issue is the involvement of the Saudi prince uh, uh, in ordering this to happen, whether he did so or not. The CIA has come out with a confidential report that apparently says that they have medium to high confidence that the Saudi prince is the one who ordered this uh, execution to occur. Which good luck trying to get confirmation on whether that happened. I mean, any any communication is going to be have had to have happened within the country, and they're not going to hand over documentation. No, but there apparently was uh, they a CIA had access to a number of emails and phone calls, perhaps through the Turkish government. It's a little unclear where it comes from. That strongly suggests that the prince had uh, ordered it. The prince is the central power. Uh, he's like the uh, the uh, Saudi king in waiting, um, uh, and uh, he commands a lot of power uh, in Saudi Arabia. Probably more power than anybody but the king. So that, that and he has a very close relationship, apparently, with Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Um, who has been an advocate of his uh, in the U.S. government and in the State Department and in the White House. So there's many layers of complication uh, in this incident. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I mean, what are the implications of him being murdered in Turkey? I mean, he was in an embassy, which technically is would be considered Saudi, Saudi territory, property, right? Yeah. There's several layers to this when it comes to international criminal law. Uh, the Saudi government has indicted some of the people who were involved in it. The Turkish government plans to charge those people also in Turkish court, which it's an interesting question given where it occurred, whether they have the power to do that or not. That said, if they buried the pieces of his body uh, outside the embassy, then that could, you know, the, they could be charged with participating in a conspiracy to murder somebody or, um, you know, at least in U.S. terms or, you know, some jurisdictions have what are called abusive corpses prosecutions. So there's ways that the Turkish government could charge them without confronting the problem of the murder occurring within the embassy. Now, uh, because he's a U.S. resident, it's possible that the U.S. government, uh, the Department of Justice, could use uh, some federal, domestic federal crimes to charge the people who did this. A transnational, it'd be basically a transnational criminal prosecution that they would charge them, indict them under federal statutes because Khashoggi was a U.S. resident. It's possible, although limited ability, that the prosecution has to do that, even though the event occurred. Not on U.S. territory. How would you get those guys extradited? Well, <laughs> yeah, they, it may be what would be called what's fondly known as a name and shame indictment. They get indicted, accepting the fact that uh, they're never the U.S. has. Uh, I haven't looked yet to see whether the U.S. has an extradition treaty with Saudi Arabia, whether the extradition treaty that they have with Saudi Arabia covers the crime of murder or whatever it is that the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, would charge them with. So those are those are uh, things to be sorted out. But practically speaking, it's unlikely that Saudi Arabia is going to in, uh, send them to the United States voluntarily. Um, and they, they, while they may have success getting evidence from Turkey, they're not going to get very much evidence from the inside of the Saudi embassy. That said, you know, if the CIA or the Turkish government were taping phone calls, have access to emails between the prince uh, and the people who engaged in this, you know, there may be some evidence there, but likely an a U.S. indictment is not going to come to anything, even if the Department of Justice decides to do that. Open question, given the acting attorney general and the turmoil within the Trump administration as to how to deal with this incident, given uh, President Trump's fondness for the leaders of the Saudi Arabia and his son-in-law's close relationship uh, with uh, the prince, uh, whether they'd even whether they'd stop that from happening, even if a, a career prosecutor recommended it to happen. So uh, those are some of the layers of like a criminal prosecution that can occur. Now, another thing that one th immediately thinks about, what about the International Criminal Court? Yeah. Um, this doesn't really cover, uh, the International Criminal Court has a very, very, very limited 
jurisdiction. It covers war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity. Is that and within the United Nations? It's it was created by the United Nations. Okay. It's on. It, it it is unlikely that this would come within the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. So that's another piece. Uh, there's also. How would it not? Would it be because it happened in an embassy? No, it's not a war crime. Oh, okay. It's not genocide, and it's not a crime against humanity, as they are defined by the international, this, the Rome Statute, the implementing uh, legislation in the UN for the uh, International Criminal Court. So it's just not within what they do. Just demonstrates how the International Criminal Court actually is a very limited yeah, body. It's a very important body, but it doesn't deal with all international crimes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a Saudi citizen who's U.S. resident in a foreign country. Another yeah. foreign country was murdered. <laughs> very complicated in, yeah. in the ways we've already talked about. Now, another uh, another tool in the arsenal of the United States. Uh, understanding that the United States in this area seems to be operating via the Trump administration and their decisions, but also Congress is starting to uh, formulate possible ways to address this. What the Trump administration has done is sanction the Saudis who were in Turkey and they can identify were involved in this. Now, sanctions themselves are an interesting proposition. The point of sanctions generally is not to punish someone. It's to get them to engage in behavior, to stop engaging in certain behavior. So if corruption's occurring in a foreign country and we decide to sanction individuals in the government of that foreign country, we are doing it to get them to stop engaging in the behavior they're engaging in. And sanctions are combined with diplomatic efforts and communication with those people that are being sanctioned, where you essentially, effectively, through diplomacy, say, we want you to stop doing this. If you don't, we're going to sanction you if you don't. And what would what would happen if they broke the, the sanctions? Well, sanctions, well, it's not a matter of breaking the sanctions. All sanctions are, are uh, uh, a freezing, are, are, they're imposed by the Treasury Department. They are a freezing of all of the individual who sanctioned accounts that they have that are in dollars. Oh, okay. Wherever they are in the world. That's all that a sanction is uh, of an individual. Put aside countrywide sanctions. Countrywide sanctions are primarily trade sanctions. And that was what we, uh, uh, that's what we currently have going on with Iran, for example, and, and North Korea. So individual sanctions, all they are is the freezing of any accounts you have that are in dollars. Now, the U.S. sanctions are, are, are powerful because dollars are the preferred currency. Yeah. I mean, if it was, if it was, you know, if it was euros uh, or something, it wouldn't be as yeah, if, important. It, it wouldn't be as important, although euros is better than uh, some currency from a small South American or African country. That's right. not going to have any effect. So it does have some effect, but the idea of sanctioning these people who are involved in the murder, in a sense, is an indirect effect at best. Yeah. You know, if sanctions are about stopping people's behavior, that's they really aren't appropriate in the circumstance. I would call them, again, 
like name and shame indictments, their name and shame sanctions. It sounds good that we sanctioned them, yeah. but it really has no particular effect um, of any power. Uh, they got bigger problems than their accounts in U.S. dollars if they have any exactly. being frozen. And, and the bigger issue is the, the country itself. I mean, the, the big issue that's been brought up is the war in Yemen, supplying weapons to Saudi Arabia and all that. And that's the bigger thing that Congress, Congress people have been bringing up. Well, and, and that's the, the, the final tool that's in the arsenal of the United States to the extent they want to uh, implement those tools. And again, we need to keep thinking about the difference between the Trump administration and their, the tools that they're willing to use, given what they've stated about the importance of our the country U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. Uh, but then there's Congress, which can pass legislation. Really, this comes down in some ways to diplomacy. You know, what is... Uh, Given all the issues on the table, the war in Yemen, uh, the Khashoggi killing, a number of other issues, pending arms sales to Saudi Arabia, diplomatically, is there a way to convey, if we are convinced that the prince was involved, to convey a message through diplomacy that makes it clear that we are punishing Saudi Arabia for engaging in this conduct in a way that will strongly encourage them to stop engaging in this conduct. Um, they've got other issues with the relationships with dissident journalists, both within the country and outside the country. So diplomacy is the fallback position, but the diplomacy is run through the State Department that is run through... You know, the head of the State Department is Mike Pompeo, a Trump appointee yeah. is, is very close with uh, President Trump. So um, it's an issue in the first instance what to do about it, given the lack of teeth in all the tools, transnational current, uh, you know, indicting them under U.S. law, uh, Turkey trying to charge them, sanctioning them, uh, the tools we've taught, the, the lack of jurisdiction in the International Criminal Court. You know, what, uh, what we're left with in this mix of things is diplomacy. And it's I think, to be charitable, abundantly unclear that the Trump administration is willing to wield uh, uh, any kind of acts to really call Saudi Arabia to account for this behavior. I think what the it is suggested in the press and in some of President Trump's tweets is they've done enough by sanctioning these people. Um, so it's a multi-layered issue that... Uh, Short of effective diplomacy in the part of the U.S. government, maybe one in terms of the U.S. ability to extract punishment uh, and to aggressively make a point that we don't tolerate this in allies, uh, that's going to fall between the cracks. Thanks for listening to the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about us by visiting law.unh.edu or following UNH Law on social media. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire.